If you were with us last week, you know that we're starting off here, the beginning of a preaching series of these four weeks of Advent, this preaching series. And the goal here is to build our conviction. The goal here is to arrive at Christmas this year different than we've ever have before, to be convicted in a deeper way in what it is that Jesus has done for us, to be convicted ever anew of the life transformative power of the gospel so that we can come Christmas time, either anew or for the very first time, make a decision to surrender our lives to Jesus in a way in which that we never have before. And not just a growing conviction here, but so that we can go out into an ever more culture and society world that is, that is increasingly hopeless and increasingly despairing for us to go out and share the good news with them and as we talked about, as the church is positioned differently in society today than it, than it was 50, 60, 70 years ago, and the God question, especially in our youth, is becoming more and more irrelevant, or so is what the response is, we need to all the more know and be reminded of and to be convicted of his story, our story. And so this week and next week, we'll mostly be spending time and looking at the first three chapters of the Bible, the first three chapters of Genesis. And it's been said that to understand and to get right the first three chapters of the Bible, you get right the entire Bible. But if you get the first three chapters of Genesis wrong, you get the whole Bible wrong. And so that's why, you know, when we, when I, when I talk and, and teach this to kids, it's, you know, when you look at Genesis, right, and with Adam and Eve and the snake and the tree with the apple, Right, when we get older, or at least for me, the response is, you expect me to believe that? Like you expect like a, a talking snake? And so then when we get older, we laugh off the talking snake and what we do is we just chuck the whole story out the window. That's something really cute for me to believe when I was in kindergarten, it was told by the teacher. But now learned, I chuck it out the window. But it's important for us to remember that when we look at the Bible, the Bible is not just one book. The Bible is 73 different books. It's composed of 73 books. And just like a library has different genres in a library, the same is the case with the Bible. It has 73 books and those 73 books are parts of different genres. So we gotta know what genre we're at. We gotta know what part of the library we're at in order to decipher and to see what it is that God wants to tell us in his book. And so in Genesis, especially these first 11 chapters, and we're looking at these first three chapters, it's, it's more, the genre is more as what was one would say inspired poetry. It reveals truth claims of who God is, who the human person is. And so if we just chuck it out the window, that's a problem because Genesis, the story, reveals the answers to the questions in our hearts of who God is, of who, who, who the human person is. Why am I here? What's the point? Where am I going? And how do I get there? What's my purpose? Do I have a purpose? It gets to meaning. And see, in our culture and society today, we have a meaning crisis. And when there's a meaning crisis, the result of that's not good. And so the first chapters don't set out to answer the question, how? That's the, that's the job of science. Science answers the question of how. 
how the world was created, how the universe was created. But that's not, that's not what Genesis, that's not what the author of Genesis is intending to do. It's to answer the question, why? And that, the why is a question that science can't answer. Why is there something rather than nothing? And so it's important to know that there's other ancient Near Eastern accounts of creation. And I remember when I was a senior in high school, I took a class called World Religion. And some of you may be taking similar classes in high school or college. And I was, I was told of all these other Near, Near Eastern ancient accounts of creation that, that the Genesis account is just like all of these. And that's just not true. All these other Near Eastern accounts, the gods, that's one thing. There's not just one God, there's many gods. It's polytheistic. And the thing is with these gods, they're not in control. There's no rhyme or reason to their creation. It's not, it's not orderly created, it's chaos. And to say they're not in control of anything, that's also they're not in control of their own passions. These gods struggled with lust, they struggled with angry, anger, they struggled with violence. So in other words, they were just like us. One account actually has the gods who are, who are burdened and tired from, from, from creating the earth and they complain of their hard work to the, to the higher gods asking for them to create others, humans, so as to do their work so that they can rest. In other words, man was created to be a slave. And a human being who's a slave, there's no dignity, there's no purpose. There's no purpose to marriage, there's no purpose to family, there's no purpose to sexuality. In a world like this, the thing that rules is despair. And where there's despair, when that rules from, a, from day by day, from moment to moment, what I wanna do, what I need to do, what I live to do is just maximize pleasure and minimize pain. Again, this sounds a lot like our world and our culture and our society today, just maximize pleasure, minimize pain because of the despair of which is in the heart of the person today. If we don't understand why I'm here, where I'm going and how do I get there or what I'm made for, the thing that what rules is we have a society riddled with fear. We have a society that's riddled with confusion and riddled with anxiety. Contrast all of that with the Genesis account. Where in the beginning, Genesis 1-1 says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Just pause there. That's it. In the beginning, God created. Completely different than all the other accounts. God created effortlessly. He created out of a spot of freedom. Why? Why is there something rather than nothing? Well, Revelation gives us the answer, and it's this, that an all-knowing, all-powerful, all-loving, infinite, eternal God chose freely to create, chose freely to create. He didn't have to create. We sometimes think that God, in the beginning, God was maybe bored. It's like, well, twiddling the thumbs, what should we do? God's not, God's not bored. God doesn't, God doesn't need anything. He didn't need creation. He doesn't need our worship this morning. God is utterly complete and utterly perfect. The reason why God created was love. And specifically, why, why, am I, why am I here? Why are you here? It's because God chose you. Some of us need to hear that this morning, that God chose you into existence and into, in, in me into existence. 
He wants me here at this time in the course of salvation history. Now, he wants you. He chose you because he loves. That's why God created. And to grow in this sense of wonder and awe is, 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 is God created everything out of nothing. As, as we go through Genesis and the creation account, there's, a, there's just this verse in verse 16 that says this. And God made the two, greats, the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. And it says he made the stars also. It's like, oh yeah, he made the stars also, right? Last week we, we celebrated Jesus Christ, king of the universe. The universe, the universe of which, I was reading it in, in a couple weeks, I think it's two weeks, there'll be a new telescope that comes out. Right now, we have the most powerful telescope is the Hubble telescope. In a couple of weeks, there's going to be a telescope that comes out that's going to show us things into space that's going to even more blow our minds. As of right now, the Hubble telescope tells us that there's about 100 billion different galaxies in our universe. And, and of those 100 billion galaxies, there's about 100 billion, 100 billion stars in each one of those galaxies. And our galaxy, our, star, our, our sun is a big star. You can fit 960,000 planet Earths in our, inside our sun. 960,000 planet Earths inside the sun. But our sun is a really small star compared to, as of now, the biggest star in our galaxy, which the Hubble telescope found. It's called the Canis Majoris star, which is Latin for the big dog star. Which, by the way, if you name a star after me one day, have it be as at least cool as the big dog star, okay? <laughs> the big dog star, you can fit seven quadrillion planet Earths inside the big dog star. Seven quadrillion. I see some eyebrows going up. You're lying. You have no idea how big a quadrillion is, right? So we can't, if you were to count to a million right now, start now and count to a million seconds, it would take you 13 days. Count to a billion. If you're counting, start now, one, two, three, all the way to a billion, I'll see you in 31 years. If you're gonna count to a trillion this morning, start now, I'll see you in 31,000 years. Count to a quadrillion. It will take you 31 million years to count to a quadrillion. You can fit seven quadrillion planet Earths inside the big dog star. Why do I share that? Why is that important? Because the God who made the big dog star is right now utterly concerned about you, about me. He knows what's in your heart this morning. He knows the things that's pressing upon your heart right now. He's utterly concerned and he's willed you into existence as he's willed every single one of the stars in existence and he created because of love. You're here, I'm here because of love, because of his love. That's why he created. Why do we know this? As far as us here in the world, the reason is because the human person, the human person is the climax of creation. He's, he's the the human person is the prize of creation. We, Genesis, as we go through Genesis here, Genesis verses 28 
26 to 27, God says this, God said, let us make man then now in our image and likeness. To say that man is created in, in God's image and likeness is to say a lot of things of which we can't get into in, in this short 15 minute homily, maybe 20 minutes this morning because there's a lot. <laughs> to say image and likeness is to say a lot of things. I just wanna approach it from this angle. The next chapter, Genesis chapter two and verse 18, God's creating and he's saying, he creates and he says, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good. And then after he creates man, he says something so surprising that's jarring. He says, it's not good. In verse 18, it, he says, it is not good that man should be alone. I then therefore will make a helper fit for him. Why is it not good that man is alone? Or asked another way, what is it that man needs help for? The man, need, the man needs help to be human. Man on his own cannot be human. This is, what, this is what God is revealing here in the second chapter of Genesis. Man on his own cannot be human. He's made for relationship. Man is made for friendship. Man is made for love. Man is made to be loved and then to love. That is the core of every human heart. It's the core of our heart here as we're this morning. It's primarily, it's to be loved and then to love. Life without love then is meaningless. And because God is three and he's perfectly loving the son and the son is perfectly receiving the love, it spirates a third person, the Holy Spirit. And to say that man was created in God's image and likeness is to say we're made for communion. We're made for love. Maybe one other thing to say about made in his image and likeness is in chapter two, is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And in verse 17, we read this, Genesis chapter two, 17, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, God says to Adam and Eve, you shall not eat for the day you eat of it, you shall die. And again, this causes a lot of confusion. It's like, am I really supposed to believe that a God, that this God placed a tree in the garden, it says you can eat of any tree in the garden, and if you eat this one, and then they do, they eat it, he gets so angry, this God will get so angry, he'll kick them out of the garden and then kill them. It's one of, the, one of those things that it's like, I'm done. I'm older now, forget it, chuck it. But it's not what the author of Genesis, is not what God is revealing here. The tree is not a test. The tree is not just some arbitrary rule that this God just says, let's see if you can follow this. Neener, neener, neener. In the tree, God is offering relationship. He's offering friendship. But friendship and relationship requires trust. God is saying, I have given you everything. I've given you, I've given you everything. All that you see is yours. I've created you, I've cared for you, I've placed you here, and now I'm asking you to trust me. Trust me. The knowledge of the tree of good and evil, in other ways we can say that it's the origins of reality, it's the knowledge of the origins of reality. And so, in other words, it's do not, Take for yourself the right to determine what is good and evil. 
the origins of reality. Man can't do that. Man is a creature. We're creatures. We have a creator. Man doesn't have the capacity to determine the origin of reality. So to eat of this tree, what it, what, what it's saying is to eat of this tree, is to take upon himself, herself, and to make myself God. And what it does is it, it, it cuts myself off from God. If God is life, if God is love, to cut myself off from God means I die. And that's what happens and that's what we'll see next week. The tree is a gift though because it enables friendship and relationship with God between man to continue. And trust, trust on the part of the creature is of utter importance towards its creator. And so maybe just to close here, to summarize what we see here in scripture in these first two chapters, we see that, that scripture reveals that God is good, that God is a father and that he's a good father and that he's generous. And out of that, out of, out of that, that generosity, he creates and he created you and me to be in his image and likeness. And here's the thing, the more we lose the sense of God, in our culture and society and in our hearts, the more we lose the sense of God as creator, the more we as creatures lose the sense of who we are. Man cannot determine who he, who he is apart from God because we're creatures and there's a creator. So we, we don't know what we're made for. We don't know our purpose. And then what comes, if not that, what comes is fear, a culture, a society that's riddled with fear, confusion and anxiety because we've got to know what we're made for what our purpose is and so maybe the prayer this week leading in the next week the second week of advent and simply this lord help me help me maybe simply just know that i've been made that i've been purposely created some of us here over college break that's over home over college break you see the, in the eyes of college students there maybe it's in our hearts right now over a course of a, a rough season in our life I need to know that I've been created, that I've been purposely created. And maybe I just, maybe I just surrender to the fact that, that I've been, that there's something higher, that I'm surrendering to, to something more powerful. And I fall into the arms this morning. This morning I fall into the arms of the reality that I was created, purposely creator. And often as I sometimes feel alone and throughout a given day, we can feel alone many times throughout the day. The things that weigh heavy on our hearts and whatever it is for us this morning, to know that he knows my heart because he's created me and he's chosen me. He wants me, he's got a plan for my life. He knows me intimately so right now. The one who made the big dog star knows me now and he knows my heart. So hope in him, hope in him this morning, trust in him, trust in him this morning, call out to him because he's a good father and he created.